This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I want to speak to you this morning on a monument. I want to talk to you about a memorial, but we're going to take the long road to get there. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so we've got to move quickly, but I want to speak to you on a very special memorial, one of, I believe, the most significant, yet perhaps one of the least known memorials in all of Scripture. Of course, this is Memorial Day weekend, and tomorrow at a number of national monuments, there are going to be ceremonies, and much like what we just observed a few minutes ago, there'll be wreaths that were are placed and uh, remembrances made. I remember my first visit, I've had the opportunity to visit on a number of occasions, the Tomb of the Unknowns, sometimes referred to as the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington Cemetery. And I remember how moving that experience was, what a powerful uh, reminder it was of those who have laid down their lives, the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy today. And tomorrow they're going to go to a number of those monuments and those memorials, and they're going to have ceremonies. And so today I want to look at a memorial that we find in the pages of Scripture. But we begin in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse number 5. The Word of God says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the Word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was an hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. And in all that mighty hand, and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. Now, after the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them." Now, if you'll hold your, uh, or turn over, rather, to chapter 3 and verse number 1. Joshua rose early in the morning and removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. 
And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. We know the narrative. We know the story. It is time for the people of God to move into the land of promise. It is time for them to possess the thing that God had already given to them. As a matter of fact, the time was over time because God had brought them to the the coast of crossing over some 38 or 40 years before that. We know the story how God had called Moses, this man who was the meekest man, the Bible says the meekest man who ever lived, a servant of God who knew the Lord face to face, and God called on him to, to lead this group of several million people out of Egyptian bondage and into the land of promise that God had prepared for them. And Moses does that. God brings them to Mount Sinai. God shows his power. He gives them his law. And then they come to the border of crossing over. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we know the story, how the spies go in. They spy the land. They come out. They say it cannot be done. And so because of their unbelief, God sends them into the wilderness. They wander for a number of years. And then Moses dies Moses passes off the scene, and so God speaks to Joshua, and he says, all right, it's time. Go over Jordan, get to the land that I have prepared for you. There are a number of things that I want to give to us uh, this morning, and so we'll get right into it for sake of time. Let me give you, first of all, the meaning of going over Jordan. The meaning of going over Jordan. Now, there are a great number of songs that we sing in our church services that would give us the idea that crossing Jordan is a picture of death and entering into Canaan's land is a picture of going into heaven. Uh, we sing songs like, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I'm bound for the promised land. Let me show you something very interesting here. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter number 3 just a few pages over, and verse number 10. Uh, look at verse number 9. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and all the other Ite cousins. He says, here's what God's going to do. You're going to cross over this river, and when you get into Canaan, you have some fighting to do. Let me tell you something. When I enter into heaven, my fighting is over. There's no fighting in heaven. Now look, there's fighting here. The Bible outlines for us the three great enemies of the, of the believer. It is the world, it is the flesh, it is the devil. And every day we are facing a flesh that is fallen. I heard someone say many years ago, my soul is saved. My flesh is still lost. 
If you've been saved for any amount of time, you understand exactly what that means. I am my greatest enemy, and I fight against me every day of my life. I live in a world system that is opposed to God. It is opposed to anything godly. The closer we get to the second coming of Christ, the more that intensifies. We see it in our day. I face the flesh. I face the world. I have an adversary, the devil, who has a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, and I face the devil. And I war, I fight, I battle, so do you. But one day we're going to get to heaven, and when we do get to heaven, all of that fighting is over. But God says to these people, he says, I want you to go across Jordan, and I want you to get into the promised land, and when you get into the promised land, you have to fight. Let me tell you something. Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Canaan is a picture of the here and the now. I want you to see something. Hold your place here in Joshua. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter number 3. We're going to reference Hebrews 3 another time before we're finished today. Hebrews chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 7. May I say this to you in our understanding today, that God intends for you and I to enjoy Canaan, not someday, but this day. Today, right where you are, God desires for you to possess your possessions. He wants you to live in Canaan. Chapter 3 and verse number 7 of the book of Hebrews, the word of God says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, God says, they shall not enter into my rest. Now, doesn't that seem peculiar? He says to Joshua, there's going to be seven warring nations when you get into Canaan. And then he says of the generation before them, I was not pleased with them because they would not enter into rest. War and rest. Now, how does that work? Here's the great truth. You're going to fight all of your Christian life. Every day for you, if you're going to live what we call the Christian life, every day is going to be a battle. And you can fight it in your strength, or you can enter into his rest. This is the great picture of going over Jordan. So what is Canaan? Canaan is the here. Canaan is the right now. Canaan is the victorious Christian life that God desires for every one of his children to live. That's where you're supposed to be this morning. That's where I'm supposed to be. I would say to you very sadly, for many days in my life and for most Christians that I know, we spend very little time in Canaan. Most of our Christian lives are spent wandering through the wilderness. Oh, there's some provisions there. God meets us in the wilderness. He'll give you a little manna here and there. He'll send a quail. Sure, when you're thirsty, He'll give you water from a rock. But is there nothing more? Is there more of a Christian life that God desires for you to live? The answer is yes. Where is it? It's over Jordan. It's in Canaan. Number one, 
I give to you the meaning of going over Jordan. It is not entering into heaven. It is entering into the victorious Christian life that God has for you. Number two, the mandate to go over Jordan. Go to Joshua chapter 1, verse number 2. We've already read it. Moses, my servant, is dead, God says. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. There it is. Go over this Jordan. So he gives to him a mandate. Many years ago, I heard someone talking about the three invitations of Jesus. The invitation he gives to come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation of follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The invitation of abide in me and I in you. And here's what I became, uh, became convinced of. In all three of those instances, they are not simply invitations, rather they are commands. God's invitations, by the way, in case you're wondering, God's invitations are never optional. God never says, if you follow after me, I'll make you fishers of men. No, he doesn't say that. He says, follow me, command, and I will make you fishers of men. God does not, does not ever say, look, if you want to abide in me, then I'll abide in you. No, we are commanded, abide in him, and he will abide in you. By the way, he never, he never gives us the option of coming unto him, all we that labor and are heavy laden, and he will give us rest. We treat that like, like it's an option, like it's an invitation. And if I, take it on the, if I take him up on his invitation, great. But if I don't take him up on his invitation, it'll be okay too. No, it'll never be okay. I'll never be obedient Carefully watch. I'll never be obedient and reject an invitation of God. Every one of his invitations are commands. They're never optional. So when he says to Joshua and to the children of Israel, look at verse number two again. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. And if you want to, there's a great land over there. It's flowing with milk and honey. The spies went in 40 years ago. They gave you the report of the land. You know how good it is. So if you want to, go ahead and go over into Jordan. He doesn't say that. Church, look right here. He commands you. He commands me to live in Canaan. He commands me to live the victorious Christian life. It's, ne it's never okay for me to live in disobedience on this side of Jordan to what God has for my life. I'm always to be living the victorious life. I'm always to be living the abundant and overflowing life. It is a mandate. It is commanded. By the way, God's greatest invitations, not just in here, but all of God's great invitations are commands. Paul goes up onto Mars Hill, and he's there with the Epicureans and the Stoics and the philosophers, and they're worshiping all these gods. And, of course, we know the story, right? They even have a tomb, to, or a tomb, not a tomb, statue to the unknown God. And, uh, and Paul, of course, he begins to expound, and he, he says to them, watch carefully, he says, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, we talk about God's offer of salvation. That's great. I'm glad that God offers salvation. But I'm here to say this morning, God does not simply offer you salvation. He demands you come to him in salvation. He has commanded you to be saved. If you're here this morning and you never, you never put your faith in Christ, if there's never been a time in your life when you've recognized that you are a sinner and that your sin has offended a holy God, 
If you've never understood that his son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then gave himself as the sacrifice for your sin, if you never believed that and put your faith in that work for salvation, I want you to know that not only does God offer you salvation this morning, he commands you to believe that and to be saved. It's a command. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and uh, of course there's thousands of people there, and God is powerfully using them. The Spirit of God is at work, and it's moving, and they're pricked in their hearts by what they've heard. And they said to Peter, they said, men and brothers, what must we do? And you know what Peter said? Repent and be baptized. Let me say what I find is really interesting. All of God's invitations are commands, and there are certain commands that God puts on everyone's life. Command number one, you are commanded to be saved. If you're not a Christian, God commands you to be so. The second command, he said, repent, there's salvation, and be baptized. You know what that is? That is entrance into a local New Testament church. It is God's desire, it is God's invitation, it is his command that every person come to know Christ as their Savior and that they are an active member in a local New Testament church, that they are part of the pillar and ground of the truth, that they are part of the vehicle through which the gospel message is to get all over the world. That is God's command. Now look, it's his invitation, but all of his invitations are commands. So where do you stand this morning? Look, Joshua stands on the, on the, the brink of, of this river, and God says to him, I'm not going to ask you if you want to. I'm going to tell you, Joshua, you have to go over. Hey, look right here. There's a life that God has for you to live. There's a life that God has for me to live. It is the abundant life, and it is the life that is commanded. He commands me to be saved. He commands me to be plugged into his church. He commands me to go over Jordan and to live the life that he's designed for me to live. It is not optional. It is a command that he's given to me. There's a third thing I want us to see. Not only the meaning of going over Jordan and the mandate to go over Jordan, but thirdly, the means of going over Jordan. All right, fine. So we're standing here. We're on the edge of Jordan. We're looking over into Canaan. I'm commanded, look, I'm commanded to get over there. Can you imagine Joshua? He's standing here on, on the brink of the river. Now, I want you to, to, to know this, that years before this, when Moses sends in the spies, they are not on the east side of Jordan. No, they're in the south. And they don't have to cross a river. And so they could have entered in that way, but now God's taken them down south of the Dead Sea and up around, and now they're on the wrong side of Jordan, and the promised land is on the, on the other side, and so they have to cross over this Jordan. And here's what God says to, to Joshua. Joshua, tell the people to prepare victuals, to get ready, because in three days' time, you're going to cross over that river, and you're going into Canaan. And Joshua says, excellent plan. I love it. Let's do it, Lord. I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. We're going to do this. And then he goes on to Jordan, and he goes, how do I get across? How do I get across? How do I get from where I am? Look right here, please. How do I get from where I am to where God wants me to be? I repeat to you again, God wants you to live the victorious Christian life. He wants you to live in abundance. So how do I get from here to there with Jordan in between? What is the means of crossing Jordan? I want you to hold your place here in Joshua. Turn back with me 
just a few pages to the book of Numbers in chapter number 13. Let's go back in time a few years, nearly 40 years, to Moses when he sends in the spies. Numbers chapter 13, look at verse number 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb still stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which, came, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And look at verse number 1 of chapter 14. The Bible says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. Can you imagine the sound of millions of people with broken hearts and crushed dreams as they cry. They'd gone to bed every night. Think of this. They had gone to bed every night. Once they leave Egypt, they think, we're free. We're free. We're no longer in bondage. We're no longer slaves. And then there's, then there's this talk of this land that God's going to take us to. And he's leading us to that land. And so even when they're in bondage, they know the prophecy. Many of them know the prophecy of God removing them. And they're teaching this to their children. They're saying, we don't know when it's going to be. But one day God's going to do a big work. And God's going to bring us out of Egypt they watch God do all of these miracles in Egypt. They, they are part of that great caravan that walks out of Egypt into the wilderness and they go see the power of God at Mount Sinai as the, the mountain itself is on fire and it's shaking and they're so overcome and, and at all of the power of God, they literally back up off of the mountain. They say to Moses, you just go talk to God and whatever he says, we will do it because we're freaking out here. We can't handle it. They saw the power of God. Their hearts are encouraged. Their hearts are, are thrilled, and they just can't wait to see what else God has for them. And they go to bed every night hoping and dreaming. And then, of course, their, their parents, they fail. Their parents fail they, they, by, by, by lack of faith, and, and there's this new generation that's coming along. And so, look, they send the spies in, and the spies come back out, and they say, hey, look, you know, we saw God at Sinai, and we saw God in Egypt, and uh, we can't do it. Can't do it. Every hope, every dream, every thought of we serve a big God and, who, and he can do great things, every one of those things ended that night 
The Bible says that all the congregation lifted up their voice and they wept. They had gone to bed every night hoping and dreaming, but that night they cried themselves to sleep. And they said, it's over. It cannot be done. Can I tell you? I'm convinced that most Christian people look at a victorious Christian life and they say, I'd love to be there. I'd love to have that. Oh, I believe the person sitting beside me can live there. I believe my pastor can live there. Oh, my mom and dad, they were great Christian people. They lived there. I'll never get there. Most Christian people are weeping in the wilderness when God says, I've told you, live in Canaan. So how do I get over there? How do I cross this river? What is the means of getting into Jordan? Let's go back to Joshua, chapter number 3. Verse number 9, Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, verse 11, The ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you unto Jordan. Now, therefore, take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon and heap. And they're hearing this. And do you know what they're thinking to themselves? Oh, I've heard this story before. I've heard this story you remember what dad said? You remember what mom said? Oh, yeah, they told that story all the time. It was a great story. Oh, yeah, they'd come out of Egypt. The wilderness had them pinned in on both sides, so they couldn't run to the right or the left. The Egyptian army's bearing down on them with the, the Pharaoh and all of his chariots. Dead sea right, or Red Sea right in front of us. And God parted the waters, and we walked through on dry ground. We turned around, we saw the Egyptians coming. We gave them a flying raspberry. You know what that is, right? That's flying raspberry. You learned something important at church today. We saw God bring the waters of that sea and crash them upon our enemy, and God delivered us. We know this story. We've heard it before. I want you to know there's great significance in the difference between the crossing of that sea and the crossing of Jordan. You see, as Pharaoh's armies are closing in on God's people, and as Moses goes to God, God says to Moses, Moses, tell the people this. Are you ready? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Literally, don't do anything. Just stand there. Can I tell you what that is? That is a great picture of my salvation. 
How are you going to get to heaven? I just stood still. I did not work anything. I looked to heaven and I said, God, if you don't do it, I'm going to go to hell for all of eternity. I put my faith in him. I stood still. And he saved me. See, at the, at the, the Red Sea crossing, he says, stand still. You'll see the salvation of the Lord. When it comes to Jordan, it's completely different. When it comes to Jordan, he says this, Joshua, tell the priest to put the ark on their shoulders. All right, Lord, ark, shoulders, good. Put them down to the water's edge. All right, we're at the water's edge. All right, Lord, we're all ready. The priests are here. The ark is here. The people are lined up. We're set. Go ahead and part the waters. And God said, no. I'll part the waters when you get in the water. Yeah, but Lord, it's, it's, a, it's a river. It's rushing by. It's really deep. I mean, we could, we could drown. And God says, you can't drown. Put your feet in the water. And when you put your feet in the water, I'll meet you there. I'll part those waters. Can I give you the means of crossing over Jordan? Faith. It is faith. Hey, and unless we be... be, be uh, deceived in our own minds. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a feeling. James remind us, faith without works is dead. So we say things like this. Well, I believe that God can save those people down at my work. I believe God can save that family member. Great. Witness to them. Oh, I believe. Do you believe? Put your feet in the water. Look, he's never going to part those waters until your feet get in the water. But if your feet get in the water, he will part them. Let me tell you something. God has never led someone into a Jordan River that he did not part. I believe God can transform my life through the reading of his word. Great, read it. I believe, I believe God is a great God of answering prayer, and I think God can answer big prayers. Then pray big prayers. I believe God can use the Tabernacle Baptist Church in a great way in this community. Great. Get involved. Put your feet in the river. Look, you can live over here crying all your life. You can live being defeated, and you can live without victory in the wilderness. Yeah, you'll get a little bit of manna. You'll get some quail. you get some water out of a rock every once in a while. But there is so much more that he has for you. It's over in Canaan, and you're never going to get to Canaan. And by the way, I'm never going to get to Canaan until I put my feet in the water. Faith without works is dead. Is our church not living there kind of right now? I believe God can give us 350 students in our day school. Hallelujah. You got to get your feet in the water. You got to put some buildings out there to house them. There's a big building over there. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of, I don't know, that's a lot of question marks. Hey, look, put your feet in the water. He will meet you there. I don't know where God's leading this church. I don't know. I'm just praying for our pastor that God gives him wisdom. But here's what I believe. Whichever way God leads us, if we will by faith trust him, if we will step into the water, it doesn't matter what the waters are, he'll part them. Let me show you something really, really cool here. Go back to Joshua chapter 1, verse number 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and watch this. This is so interesting. Go over this Jordan. 
Now, did I miss something? Is there another Jordan River in the Bible? No. Here's what he's saying to them. Once you cross this Jordan by faith, there's going to be another one. And after that, there's going to be another one. So what must I do? Keep on crossing Jordan. Keep on getting my feet down in there. <laughs> I told the 830 service this morning, as a child and as a, as a teenager, even as a single adult, I grew up in church hearing preachers talk about how they had to trust the Lord for the rearing and the raising of their children. And I thought, okay, sounds good. Can I tell you something? That's my Jordan. That's my Jordan. It's this Jordan. Say, God, I'm not a good parent. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, if these kids, if these kids live, it's going to be a miracle. Much less, to, I mean, what's God say? He says, look, you do the work. You, put, you invest in their lives. You raise them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. You get them into church. You get the word of God into their hearts. You, you teach them how to be men of God. And, and by the way, when you get in the water, I'm going to meet you there. I, hadn't, I, I never failed anybody yet. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. God will meet me there. Daniel, we're going to throw you in the lions. That's okay. God will meet me there. Joseph, you better, you better lose those dreams. You better shut up about all those dreams. We're going to throw you in a pit. That's okay. God will meet me there. We're going to take you down to Egypt. He'll meet me there too. Hey, look here, church. If you'll get in the water, whatever this Jordan is for you. And by the way, there are Jordan rivers that I have not come to yet. Many of you in this room have already crossed those Jordans. You've already come to those decisions. Younger people, myself included, there's a lot of people in this room who have come to some Jordans that you're coming to one day. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand at that Jordan River and look over across to a victorious, happy, abundant Christian life and say, boy, it'd be nice if I was over there. Well, wouldn't it be great? Or are you going to trust God, and are you going to get into the river? Are you going to put feet on your faith? This is the great meaning of crossing Jordan. Turn back to Hebrews chapter number 3, if you would, please. We move forward to verse number 17. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned? whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Hey, look right here. That victorious Christian life that God wants you to live, that is the rest life. It's the rest life. You say, wait a second, I thought there, was, I thought there were warring armies over there. Yes, there are. And every day that you fight them, you'll fight them and rest. I say to you, you can stay on this side of Jordan and you can fight your battles without rest. Or you can put your faith in God. If you can step out by faith and, and accomplish only by faith what God desires for you to accomplish with your life, if you can be on the front lines and cross over into that abundant life, and let me tell you, it's nothing but rest over there. 
You're swinging a sword, but you're at rest. Hey, look, you're going to swing a sword either way. You're going to fight either way. Why don't you fight in his rest? He says in verse 18, To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. I want to enter into that rest life. How do I do it? I believe the Lord. And I believe him so much that I'm willing to get right in the middle of the thing he's called me to do. And he says, I'll part the waters. I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest. Verse number one of chapter four. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. It's all about faith. Look at verse number 10, chapter 4. For he that has entered into his rest, oh, this is, may the Spirit of God teach us this lesson. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. God says, hey, I have a land for you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It is a land that's beyond your wildest imaginations. By the way, if you go back in the book of Deuteronomy, God says to them, be careful when you get into the land, you know, that you don't, you know, do all these things. But here's how God describes that land. Listen carefully. He says, I'm going to give you a land of houses that you didn't build, wells that you didn't dig, and vineyards that you didn't plant. That sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Guess what? The Girgashites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the rest of them, they're not just going to see you come across the Jordan River and go, oh, hey, guys, they're here. Yeah, they're finally, yeah, yeah, we knew they were coming. They're here. It's okay. We've been packed up for a while. We're waiting for you to get here. Now that you're here, we'll go. Enjoy it. That's not how that's going to work. You have to fight, you have to labor. But you know what God says? If you will labor, you'll labor into rest. Let me tell you, the world that you live in knows nothing of rest. It is turmoil, it is anxiety. I read some, a statistic years ago that uh, America, the United States of America, consumes 85% of the world's antidepressants. This country... What in the world are we, are we depressed about? Now, by the way, I'm not, I'm, I understand that there's, there's medical issues and there's clinical things, and, and to be very transparent with you, I personally have struggled with depression for a short period of time many years ago. But why are we as a nation who are living, humanly speaking, the greatest life we can live, what are we so depressed about? You know what it is? Because we've not ceased from our labors and entered into his rest. No, we are laboring for self. And laboring for self, even in the Christian life, does not bring rest. I want to say to you, there is a life that God has for us. It is the greatest life we could ever live. It is the Christian life. It is the abundant, victorious Christian life. And we only reach that land as we step out in faith and trust God for what he's going to do in our life. There's a fourth thing I want to give to you the memorial of going over Jordan. We come to the memorial finally, Joshua chapter number four. 
Verse number one, and it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command, uh, command them, excuse me, command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their parents in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. The children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of Is children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there and... Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood. They are there unto this day. God says, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the priests. I want you to get them all lined up, get everything set. All right, Lord, we're ready to go. All right, now get in the water. Believe me. Step out by faith. And they did. And when they did, God kept his word. And they're passing over this Jordan River on dry ground. And then God says, hey, Joshua, I want you to get 12 men, one from every tribe. I want you to go back there to where the priests are standing. I want you to pick up a rock. I want you to carry them over here to the western side of Jordan. And I want you to pile them up. And years later, a family, Jewish family, is on vacation, going to the beach. I don't know how good the beaches are at the Jordan River, but... And they're walking down the bank of the Jordan, and the little boy says to his dad, what are those stones? And the father explains to him, oh, son, that's when God stopped the waters of Jordan. We walked through on dry ground. And they're there as a memorial to what God can do. And he's telling that story. Look right here. He's telling that story. And the children are simply listening. And they're going, that sounds really cool. But in the heart of that father, his heart races just a little bit. Because he remembers. I was there. I saw it. It's a memorial. Can I tell you what the sad state of most Christianity is today? Most of Christianity today is satisfied to look at the memorial, but never experience the miracle in their day. You're sitting in a memorial. Some of you were here when this was built. We drove onto a campus this morning, and for most of us, it's simply a memorial of what God has done in past. It's simply a memorial to what God did do. I wonder, 
what about the miracle in my day? You see, here's what I want. I want to leave a legacy behind. I want to leave some memorials behind where my children can walk down and say, Dad, what was that? Oh, let me tell you. It didn't seem like we could do it. We stepped out in faith. Boy, you should have seen what God did. Can I tell you what that does for the next generation? That inspires them to say, well, if God can do it for my dad, why can't he do it for me? If God can move that way in my mom's life, if she can be a, a Christian witness down at the job and see people come to know Christ as their Savior and bring them into a church, but walk them down an aisle, see them get baptized. If my mom can do that, I bet you I can do that. It's a memorial. Now, here's the great truth. Look at verse number 9. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the, feast, where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they're there unto this day. Hey, look, there's actually two piles of rocks. One's on the western bank. It's visible. It's for everybody to see. There's also a pile of rocks in the Jordan River that nobody ever will see again. What is the significance? If I'm ever going to see God build a memorial and raise up stones in my life, then there must be a death in Jordan where I cease from my works. I faith God. It's his work, not mine. And he accomplishes through my life, through the life of this church, things that we could have never accomplished on our own. And generation after generation, if God lets this world keep spinning around, is going to come by, and they're going to say, hey, look at that pile of stones. Can I, can I tell you what, what really burdens my heart? If we all live in 50 years, when someone drives past this campus, what are they going to look at? Are they going to look at the same thing that they're looking at today? Are they going to say, hey, let me tell you something. 50 years ago, that place was thriving. That place was booming. Oh, yeah, they had lots, lots going on over there. And not, not so much since then. Could that happen? Sure. How does it happen if we just stay in the wilderness and we don't cross Jordan? And God says, go over this Jordan. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.